Amen. Thank you, guys. Wow, praise God. Isn't it good to be in the house of the Lord and worship the Lord together? Wow, it's been a long time. First time in uh, 2021, right? We're together, and uh, I'm just so thankful for uh, all the people that made it possible for us to gather here today. Uh, Pastor Peter and the worship team and so many others uh, that make this a safe environment and allow us to gather and worship together. So it is good to be together. This is Easter. Come on, let's wake up now. It's Easter. Yeah. You know, if I stop in the middle of the message and lose my train of thought or I lose my voice, um, it's because, you know, we've been pre-recording all these uh, messages, and so when I lose my voice, I call over to Jeff over there. Jeff, can you stop the tape? Let me start over. He goes, sure, you can start. You can start over. You can add something, whatever you want to do. We can't do that now. Don't you wish you could redo some things from the past? I mean, uh, my son is, my grandson is collecting uh, baseball cards now and basketball cards and football cards, and I remember when I was uh, young, I had all sorts of baseball cards. I was a big Yankee fan, so I had Mickey Mantle, Roger Maris. I had their rookie cards and everything. And you know what we did with those cards? We put them on the spokes of our bicycle, and we ran around and making noise with them. Now when I look at my grandson, he looks up the price of those cards. There's hundreds of thousands of dollars in those cards. They're all gone. I wish I could redo that. You know, if, you are, if you're collecting things now, I mean, young people, if you have a Tom Brady rookie card in excellent condition, you know what it went for this week? $1.3 million. Oh, that's a lot of money for a rookie card. Right, so there's things that we would like to redo. There's things that we would like to, uh, what I call pivot on. You know, and uh, today I want to talk to you about pivoting. To pivot is to strategically uh, change things in your personal life. And uh, this can happen to companies too. Uh, to pivot means to change, to go in another direction, to strategically change course. That's what it means, pivot. And it's become a business term now because a lot of companies are learning how to pivot during this pandemic and during the economic upheaval that we've been through this past year. But that's been happening for a long time. In fact, the word became really popular in the mid-2005, uh, right around that, that time. And it was uh, YouTube that had started out as a company. They, were start, they started out as a dating company, that you would put your um, video about your personal life and why you wanted to date somebody on YouTube and then somebody else would see it, and they would uh, respond to you. Uh, it didn't work, right? So they, they almost went bankrupt. But then the, the co-founder of YouTube, what he did is he decided to go to the zoo and film himself and an elephant that was behind him. And he said, this elephant has a very long, long long trunk. It was a 19-second video. It went viral. 
Then all of a sudden, people started to send in their silly videos of themselves at diff doing different things at different times, and the company became a billion-dollar company. YouTube pivoted, and they became uh, you know, rich and famous. Twitter was a podcasting company called Odeo. I never heard of that before. But they pivoted and became a social media giant. So businesses, people, they have to pivot, especially in this pandemic. I'm sure you have had to change course, make adjustment, do something in your life, uh, even just wearing masks right now, right? Our church, you know, having only, being able to only have 75 people here, we've had to change things in order to, you know, adjust and be able to meet together. And we're doing that as safely as we can. You know, the healthcare system, when it was being overrun by patients, had to pivot to find treatments. And thank God we found a vaccination, a vaccine for this uh, deadly virus. Children, uh, young people, you've had to learn virtually, on screen, not go to school. Teachers have had to teach virtually. Businesses, many people are working at home now. You've had to pivot. You'd have to change and make adjustments. I think everybody's tired of pivoting. <laughs> a lot of people are tired of pivoting, but I want to tell you, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, if you're a believer in him, he will often call you to pivot to his will and purpose for your life. In fact, he will do that so often in your life. And that is the main, main person we should pivot our life around. If you think about that first resurrection day, uh, the disciples are scattered. They're afraid. Uh, one has betrayed him for 30 pieces of silver. Uh, the others have gone to hide out in their homes. Um, and so there is this sense that things have gone terribly wrong. And uh, I don't know about you, but there's people that are, have been experiencing a lot of difficulty in their life, grief. People have died during this pandemic, uh, not only from the virus, but of other illnesses. And people couldn't gather together to even have a funeral. And it's been a year, I think, of a lot of gloom, a lot of confusion, a lot of despair. And in those times, and I believe this is so true, in this time that we're in, in this season in our history, we've never had a time like this in a hundred years, that was the last pandemic, but God is calling us to draw closer to him. And he's calling us to do that in light of the resurrection. That's why Easter is so important, that's why the resurrection is so important, because we need to see our lives in the light of the cross and the resurrection. We need to pivot our lives around that truth. This is what God wants us to do. But we can get so used to just running our own lives, and this pandemic has thrown an upheaval into all of our lives. And we need to rethink what we're to do. I think the disciples had to rethink what they wanted to do. Think about this. Think about this. The disciples have watched Jesus, have lived with Jesus. They've followed Jesus for three years, and then all of a sudden, 
He is arrested. He is uh, taken away from them. He is beaten. He is, uh, you know, crucified. And they've witnessed this thing. And so many people are wondering, especially the disciples are wondering, what is going on? Where are you, God? And they've forgotten everything that Jesus has told them about because of the traumatization of what they've been through. That happens in people's lives a lot of times, even believers. We forget who we are in Christ. We forget about our faith. And that is the very foundation. It's the very place that God wants us to grow and thrive in. And so think about this. The casual observer at that first Easter, that Good Friday, Saturday, and Sunday must have been thinking... Jesus looks like a man who does not know how to pivot. If you would think about them, if, if Jesus looked like someone who miscalculated his mission, chose the wrong people for his movement, you think about this, his uh, CFO, his uh, chief financial officer, you know, he was robbing the, the money bag and finally betrayed him. The other disciples all deserted him. And so they must have been thinking, there's something wrong. And then as Jesus hanging on the cross, the most gruesome form of death you could uh, succumb to at that time, at that period, in that history, he's dying on the cross and he's reciting Psalm 22 and everybody hears him scream out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And so they're thinking, the, the observer, some person that's looking back there, and everybody, even the disciples are thinking, God, you have forsaken this miracle worker. So he must have been a fraud. In fact, they start to hurl insults at him and mock him during that time. Jesus, you saved others, can't you save yourself? And Jesus stays on the cross. The political leaders at that time, the religious leaders, those generals or those leaders of the battalion of soldiers there, they must have been thinking this guy miscalculated completely what he was doing. Why did he ride into Jerusalem on the foal of a donkey? You don't ride in if you're going to make a great movement, if you're going to uh, free your people. You don't ride in on the foal of a donkey. You don't go into the temple and overturn the money changers. No wonder everybody got mad at you and angry at you. And even when you're there and alone in the garden, bring more swords and clubs or something to defend yourself. Set up a guard around you. But Jesus did none of those things because he was purposely going to the cross for us. He was purposely pivoting his life towards the cross to die for our sin. We know that. But sometimes we forget it when we're going through our struggles. You know, you may be here today and you say, Al, you know, I've never felt a close connection to, towards God. I don't know what it is, but I feel like God and I are not, I'm not hearing his voice. I'm not seeing him work. I'm struggling right now. And if that's you here today, I want to encourage you not to give up. I want to encourage you not to turn away from Jesus Christ because he is the one you need to turn towards at this time in your life. The great apostle Peter, the leader of all the disciples, 
who said he would die for Jesus, he would never forsake him, he would stand right to the end, and Jesus told him, you'll deny me three times before the rooster crows tonight, you'll, de de you'll deny me. And when you know the story, he's, Jesus has been arrested, and Peter follows Jesus to where the Sanhedrin has taken him, and the soldiers have taken him, and they have this trial that's going on, and people are coming up and lying and accusing Jesus of blasphemy and so many different things. And then Peter is there warming his hands by a fire. And one of the high priests, the servant girl of the high priest says, you know, I think, I think you're one of his followers, aren't you? No, not me. And Peter denies he knows the Lord. Now, Peter can see Jesus. He's watching him. And yet he's denying he knows him. And it says in Luke chapter 22, 60 and 62, it says uh, the third time he says, man, I don't know what you're talking about. In, in the gospel of Mark, it says that uh, Peter called down curses upon himself at that last time because he wanted to convince everybody it wasn't him. And in Judaism, such a curse took the form of this. He would say, may I always be afflicted if I'm not telling you the truth. I don't know the man. Or it would say, uh, may I bury my son if I'm telling you a lie. That's how emphatic Peter denied knowing Jesus. And finally they left him alone. But Jesus didn't leave him alone. It says in the Bible that he looked at Peter. And suddenly the Lord's words flashed through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning you will deny me. Three times that you even know me, and Peter left the courtyard weeping bitterly. What happened to Peter? He got, he, he did exactly what he said he'd never do. He turned away from Christ. He denied him. He rejected him. He abandoned him. And what did Jesus do? Jesus looked at him. Now, how did Jesus look at him? I believe Jesus looked at him. Not as, I told you so, Peter, you're such a failure. But as Peter, hang in there. I really believe Jesus was pursuing Peter, saying, don't, don't give up on me. And he does the same things in our lives when we are struggling in our lives. You know, it flashed through Peter's mind what Jesus said. I wonder what flashes through our mind when we're struggling. Do we call out on God? Do we run to him? Do we fall at his feet? Peter didn't do that. Uh, Jesus warned Peter. He said, Satan is going to sift you like wheat. You know how they sift wheat in ancient days? They would throw it up in the air, and the chaff, the wind would blow away the chaff, and the kernel of the seed would fall down. And this is describing, Jesus was describing Satan is going to throw you around in your soul like, like chaff, like, like wheat being sifted. But I've prayed for you, Peter. And when you return, when you do return, because you will return, restore your brothers and sisters. Be a catalyst for others to come and be restored as well. And we know the story of what happens there. But in that moment, Peter is weeping bitterly. Why? 
because he is so full of toxic shame. You know what toxic shame is? Toxic, toxic shame is when you look at yourself and you don't like anything about yourself. When you really are by yourself, thinking about yourself, you just don't like who you are. And this is exactly what Peter was going through. Now, healthy shame on the other side is a conviction of our sin, and it will lead you back to Jesus like you're shameful for something that you did. And you should be, or I should be. And then it leads us back to coming before the Lord and asking him to forgive us. And God wants that type of shame in our lives to lead us back to forgiveness so we can be free of the shame. The gospel records that Sunday that the disciples are inside a house and probably, if you think about it, Friday was the crucifixion, Saturday was a Sabbath day, so everybody is, uh, it, the Bible doesn't say really anything about Saturday, what was happening on Saturday. Saturday is silent. And a lot of times, when you're in a time of silence between you and God, it's a very pivotal time in your life. That is the time when you sense silence or you sense you're, uh, there's something between you and God, that's the time to go closest to him. Because God is up to something. He's doing something in your soul. He's trying to awaken you to something that is so necessary for you to understand. For, to, for you to be healed, for you to be relieved of shame, for you to understand your purpose and how much he loves you. This is what was happening with all the disciples. Saturday was silent, and they're wondering what is going on. You know who goes to the tomb first? It's the women. They wake up early, 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 while it's still dark, the Bible says, and they take spices and they want to go and anoint the body of Jesus. And so they take these spices, but, you know, they know right where the tomb is because that Friday they followed Joseph of Arimathea to the tomb where they laid Jesus in there. They saw his broken, dead body. He was completely gone. And so they're going there with no hope of resurrection. They don't need, resurrection is not even in their minds at all. And yet they go out of duty, out of honor, to put spices on Jesus' body because his body is decaying now and it must be smelling and this is the thing that you do out of respect for the dead. And so they go there with no hope, maybe with questions, who's going to move the stone? What are we going to do if the guards are still there? Would they abuse us? We're just women. They went there, I think they're very courageous for even going there. But they're not thinking of resurrection. They're consumed with a sense that things are not as they should be. And then the amazing thing happens. They go in and the stone is rolled away and they walk inside and then they hear an angel say, don't. Be alarmed, because they're scared. They didn't expect to see something alive inside the tomb, and there's this angel there. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He has risen. He's not here. 
See the place where they laid him? But go tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you'll see him just as he told you. I love that it says, go tell his disciples and Peter. Because Peter is the guy that really blew it. Really, really turned away. And Jesus calls him by name. The angel calls him by name. The father tells the angel. Angels are messengers from God. The father is saying, get Peter. Bring him back. Tell him that I'm alive. You know, how many times do people follow Jesus at a distance? Not because they don't want to know him, but because they don't believe that he really loves them and can be personally involved in their lives. They think it's more like just a religion. You know, you go to church, you do the right thing, you read the Bible, but it's an actual relationship that goes deep into your soul, that expands things, that God heals things in us that, have been, that we've been struggling with. He's able to answer. For, he's able to do so many different things when we come to him. You know what's the sad thing is when people don't actually believe anymore. They don't believe they could go deeper with God. They believe that somehow they've kind of like, well, this is just the way it is. I guess I can't know God any better than I do now. And that's not true. I remember when I was a young man, I knew that the Lord was pursuing me. And at first I put him off. I thought my, what my older brother Mike was talking about, it really seemed like nonsense to me. Because Mike came back from college one day and he said, Al, I know Jesus is real. I know I'm going to heaven. He's forgiven me of my sin. And I know if I died tonight, I'd be with him in his presence right now. And the other thing, Al, he goes, I've got the power of the Holy Spirit in me. And I said, I didn't know what he was talking about. I thought, what did you do? Join a cult or something? But he sounded like he really knew. And then I watched his life, and his life was so different. The way that he talked to me. We, would, we were brothers, man. I mean, we would beat each other up. I mean, I, I got more beat up. I would run away from him. He was my older brother. But we did not get along. And all of a sudden, he is showing me attention. He's, he's loving me. He's communicating to me. And then I finally go and up to his college and visit with him. And there was a series of circumstances. I won't get into all of it. But the end of it, but the end of it, the pivotal moment for me was when I heard the gospel, I could understand it for the very first time. And I said, what about me? What do I really believe about God? Have I asked, ever asked him into my life? I mean, I grew up in a church. I had my Holy Communion. I had my confirmation. But I had never really personally made a connection with the living God, just me and him. And so my brother said, do you, do you want to pray? 
And I said, yeah, I do. I want to receive Christ into my life. And so we went into this cafeteria at Brockport State uh, College. And, I, and I, I went there, and I knelt there on the floor. And I remember feeling so... So much in need. Needing a purpose. Needing forgiveness. Needing to deal with my own toxic shame. And I remember my brother telling me, Al, I said, Mike, what am I supposed to do? I mean, who is Jesus? I mean, I, I, I just feel like an infant not knowing about him. The way, that, the way you talk about him and the way that man that was up there was talking about him. I don't know what you guys have, but I want it. I want him. And so he told me, just talk to him, be honest. He said, Al, your faith is within you. God's given everybody a measure of faith. And he just simply explained Romans 8, 10, 8 through 11. The word is near you. It's in your mouth. It's in your heart. The message concerning faith we proclaim. He said, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. And it sounded so, you mean, I can just ask. I mean, I don't even know if Jesus is real, but I'll confess that. I'll be open to it. God knows my heart. And so I opened up my heart to him, and he came into my life. And I'm telling you, he came in. And I did not, you know, fall on the floor or anything like that. I got up. But when I went back home to my hometown in uh, Buffalo, New York, I saw things so differently. I saw my sin. I saw not toxic shame, but shame when I did sin and a way to confess that and then go on and, and get to know God. And I began to ask him to teach me. And I began to read the Bible. For the very first time in my life, I read the Bible. And I started to understand it. And it made a difference in my life. And he became the pivot point for my entire life. And now that's not the only time I ever prayed. I mean, I've been on my knees so many times before the Lord and just crying out to him. And I know you have too. Because he is so good. He knows us by name. He knows what we're going through. He knows the frustration we're going through. He knows the hurt and the pain that we've been through. You know, why is it that so many people will go to therapy, they will go to the hospital, they will go everywhere to get well, but they won't come to Jesus. And he is the healer. He is the king of kings. He is the one that can do amazing things in our lives. You know, I love that we've got this vaccine now. Uh, the Moderna, the Pfizer, the Johnson. Everybody knows the names of the vaccines, right? Like we've become vaccine experts. And, you know, and then we share our stories together, don't we? I mean, did you get the vaccine? I got the first shot. How'd you feel after the first shot? 
I felt, I felt good. My arm was a little sore. Other people, oh, man, I felt dizzy, man, after the first shot. I don't know what's going on. And everybody's telling their war stories about the vaccine, right? Then you get the second shot. Oh, the second shot. Oh, you got the second shot? And then, and then they're talking about, hey, you know, when I went in the clinic, I got a shot, and my arm was bleeding. My arm was bleeding. And so we have all these stories about the vaccine, and then people will drive hundreds of miles to get the vaccine, or they'll be on the computer for hours and hours and hours and hours looking for the vaccine, and they'll keep on saying, all right. It says, no appointment, no appointment available, no appointment available. I mean, I did that for hours trying to get the vaccine. Why? Because I knew it was a gift from God. I knew it was something that would protect me and allow me to be a little bit more at peace when I was around people. And plus, I wouldn't spread it to other people at all, you know, if I, if I, so if I, if I didn't contract it. So I really believe this is a godsend and even Dr. Chow, one of the doctors in our, in our church, he has made it available for free of charge these last two weeks. Yesterday, they vaccinated 110 people. Praise God for that. And did it out of the kindness of his heart. And Edelisa was there helping, and other people were helping. Many of you were there helping with the crowd control and helping that happen. It's a wonderful gift from God. But I just want to know, why don't we have the same convincing faith in Jesus Christ as we do in a vaccine? We need to have the same conviction that Jesus is who he says he is because he is God, because he died on the cross and he resurrected, and we belong to him. His resurrection can resurrect us. That's what we sang. His resurrecting power is resurrecting me. That's really what we want to understand and know. And that's really what happened to the disciples, right? So they're sitting in this room, the doors are locked, and then Jesus comes into the room, walks through a wall. I love that Jesus' resurrected body can go through walls. You know, that's the kind of body you're going to have when you go to heaven. Same kind of body that Jesus had. It's going to be a wonderful, wonderful thing when we get a resurrected body. And he says this, while they were still talking about this, what they were talking about was, was what was happening about the resurrection. Some people had seen Jesus resurrected, and others had not. The women had talked to them, and they were all talking about it. And then as they're talking about it, I'm sure some are saying, ah, I saw him. He was dead. There's no way he could be alive. The, the tomb was sealed. And so they're talking about this, and then Jesus appears. It says here in Luke chapter 24, 36 to 39, it says they were talking about us, they were startled and frightened because Jesus stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? Why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself, touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. And so he points to his physical body that's been raised from the dead. Somehow it was regenerated, glorified, resurrected body. And he's standing there among them. And they're seeing him. Jesus was with them 
in and out of their lives for the next 40 days. The Bible says over 500 eyewitnesses account of Jesus alive, resurrected. Their lives were transformed from being scared, denying, fallen men and women to having a confidence and a courage to give their very lives for what they believe. It was a dramatic change. Jesus was not a hallucination. He wasn't a disembodied spirit. Jesus was risen from the dead, body, soul, spirit, a new resurrected body. And this was the convincing proof. But not only that, when Jesus meets with them, what does he do? Does he just say, hey, you want to see the hole in my hand? No, he does more than that. He opens up the scriptures to them. That's what it says right right after that in Luke 24. Then he opened up their minds so they could understand the scriptures. And he told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning in Jerusalem. And he says, guys, you're a part of that. You're a part of what I'm about to do. And you need and I need pivot our lives around Jesus' death and resurrection. And we live with that truth wherever we go, wherever we work, wherever we go to school, wherever in our families, that truth pervades our life and it should be the basis for how we pivot and how we adjust and how we go about finding what God's will is and then obeying it and following him. Because he has paved a way for us to do that. He has opened up heaven. He has opened up a way for us to access him through prayer. And he wants us to do that. You know, 1973 wasn't the only time I prayed. And I've told you before, there have been so many times when I've had to pray and ask God to fill me with his Holy Spirit. To change my life. To help me in a difficult situation. And I'm sure you have too. You know what Jesus said to Martha when her uh, brother died? I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me, if you live by believing in Jesus, it will make a difference in your life now and into eternity. If you live by believing in Jesus, if your life is in faith with Jesus, it makes a difference. Now, what are some action steps to this message? First of all, respond to his calling. He's calling. If you don't know Christ today, he's calling you to come to know him. Uh, Back in 1973, the same year that I came to know Christ, that Easter, Lori, in a different place than me, had her sister, her older sister, tell her about Jesus and then invite her to an alliance church, a little church not far from my house. Was, it was walkable. I never knew about the church. But it was a little small church, and Lori and her family, her, her father, her mother, her sister, her brother, her friend, they went to that church on that Sunday morning there was a pastor there, and he gave a message. 
And he said at the end of the message, if you want Jesus Christ into your life, come forward and receive him into your life. And they all went forward. Except, I think your father. Father didn't go. <laughs> Not yet. He came later on, though. But, he came, but they all came forward, and they knelt there, and they, got, and they prayed. And they prayed a simple prayer like I prayed, just different. But they prayed, and they, they opened up their lives to the Lord. And it transformed their life. Lori's mother had had a nervous breakdown. She was an alcoholic. She got freed from that. She was healed emotionally. Became a beautiful person. When I knew her, she, oh man, she was a good cook too. Man, it was good to be in their presence. Her father came later on to know the Lord. Her sisters all married pastors. <laughs> it's amazing what God can do when we open up our lives to him. When we don't give up. When we don't say, this is too hard, this is too difficult. Revelations 3.20 says this, Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come in and eat with that person and they with me. You know, that verse is written to the church. You know why it's written to the church? Because sometimes we put Jesus outside the church. We don't stay connected to him. And even as believers, at times, we get overwhelmed with life, with pivoting in our own strength, with adjusting, with taking on too much responsibility, with all the things that can cause us to be disconnected with our relationship with God. And he's almost on the outside of our lives, and he's knocking on the door of our heart, and he's saying, let me in. And then the other thing is that we humble ourselves, stay in his presence, study the scripture, be open to God speaking to you. He still speaks today. God still speaks today. And, it, it, you know, if you, if you can't study the Scriptures, find somebody to study the Scriptures with you or go to the Bible study or be in a place where you can receive from the Lord. Be taught how to study the Word of God. And then ask God to teach you to pivot your life around the cross, the resurrection, and the power of the Holy Spirit. This is what the Apostle Paul says. He says, I want to know Christ. Yes, I want to know the power of his resurrection. And the Apostle Paul is saying this after he's been walking with the Lord for 20 or more years. He's saying, I want to know. I still want to know. So we, have, we all want to know more. And Jesus wants to teach us more. He knows our name, just like he knew Peter's. So this morning, I want you just to bow your heads and pray with me as we close today. And let's just get quiet before the Lord. Close our eyes. Think about what he did at the cross, but not only at the cross. He rose again. He defeated Satan. He defeated death. He defeated sin. And he did it for us. So, Lord, we ask today, Lord, you give us a greater appreciation for who you are, what you've done in our lives, how you know our name, how you know exactly what we've been through or what we're going through right now. 
you know, the pain that we're in. And we proclaim you to be the answer. We proclaim you to be the one that can bring us out of ashes into resurrection. You can bring us out of difficulties and troubles. You can answer prayer like nobody else can answer prayer. You can do things that we cannot do ourselves, but Lord, as we humble ourselves before, uh, before you, Lord, you can do something deep and wonderful. So Lord, I pray that we would today come to the altar. We would come to a place, uh, Lord, where you can meet us, even right here in our seats today, that you will meet us. And that you'll meet the people that are watching online today. Lord, that you'd meet each one of us in the place where we are right now in desperate need of you. Come. Come and work in our lives, Lord. We invite you, Lord Jesus, to take up residence, to take up a residence in our hearts through the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name.